show. Today we're going to talk to Matt Day. Matt is the director of programming for Freedom Fest and in a past life was uh, put ran events for FEE, Foundation for Economic Education, and has really done an extraordinary job. And many people have spoken his praises to me about putting on events. And I think events are a really powerful tool for promoting ideas in general. But I also wanted to have Matt on because I think it's really valuable to see ways that people people can promote their ideas and career paths people can take to promote their ideas beyond the most obvious ones of being a writer or a speaker or more broadly focusing on content per se. And so one thing that you should really think about is if you're passionate about ideas having to do with liberty or passionate about Ayn Rand's ideas, reach out to people in those fields, reach out to those organizations. And one of the questions should be, hey, what are the kinds of jobs that might not be obvious to an outsider that you guys have going on? Because, you know, whether it's something to do with finance and accounting or whether it's these more kind of social or organizational type jobs, all the way down to the most obvious kinds of content creation, we need great people at every level and in every sphere. And it can sometimes not be obvious that there are these unusual paths to playing a role in fighting for a better future. So with that, let's get on to the conversation with Matt Day. All right, Matt, thanks for coming on. So sure. most people who become interested in liberty, in my experience, if they decide that they actually want to devote any portion of their life to it, it's usually from the perspective of, okay, I'm going to become a writer or maybe a journalist or you know, do podcasting or something. But you, you have a really fascinating role in promoting liberty. So before we, uh, I, at some point, I want to circle back to how you got to where you are today, but I'm, okay. <laughs> I'm just curious to hear like what it is you actually do. So, um, you know, obviously events have been a, a big part of my life for a long time and we'll get to the history of that. Um, you know, for me, I, I'm, I'm always, and even in general, when I put on events, I'm a very kind of behind the scenes guy. I don't, I'm not like one of the people who like to go out and really put myself out there as far as being like a person on stage or, you know, being a writer or, or things like that. Um, so, you know, what I love about the kind of just the event world is you can, it, it's kind of the collaboration of, you know, bringing all kinds of different experts together and people who are really good at their different roles. And what I like to do is, you know, being in that a kind of event role to kind of, you know, oversee all that. It's just, it's really helping people do their best, you know, and, and you know, because you know, a lot of times, you know, with, especially with speakers, you know, they're not very logistics oriented type people. And so, you know, that's kind of where I, my, I always see my niches. I'm, I'm a very logistics type of person and I like to um, just kind of help people do what they do best, you know, and that's, yeah, I, you know, and then, and, and I think it just kind of naturally fits with my, um, just kind of a, I'm a bit of a shy guy. And so I don't like being out there and, and about, and this is kind of a role that is always needed. And, you know, putting on events is tough work and it takes a lot of, long hours, especially as you get closer to the event. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of flexibility that just kind of comes natural to me as, as just when I, you know, go through, you know, putting together an event, you, you just have to be flexible. And that just kind of is generally how I live my life anyway. So it just, all of these kind of things just kind of come together. And, you know, events are just, they're a special thing because there it is, it's not something that lasts permanently. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's this cold, culmination of all these all these people kind of coming together for this moment to share in something and then you know and then blink of an eye it's kind of over and there's something lasting though that sticks with people especially when you do a good event a bad event will last with people too because in a very different way but if you if you if you manage to put together an event that really gives that response to people there's there's something pretty magical about it and that's kind of where I get my kicks from it. I mean, a lot of my most enduring memories are from really good events, some really bad ones. Mm -hmm. And I don't think one of the things I noticed having worked at organizations that went through different event coordinators and planners and things was that 
how hard it is. So I'm definitely in the category of the speaker. And I'm sure you've heard this a thousand times. It's like, I just want somebody to point me in the right direction and tell me when to start talking and when to stop talking. But I don't like everything else is over my head. And um, there's, but I mean, a well done event. So what, I mean, here's one aspect of just why I think it's important, not just that we all mm -hmm. have these great memories and get to hear great mm -hmm. speakers. I think a lot of people will discover, you know, they'll read something by Ayn Rand or Hayek or, or mm -hmm. whomever, and they'll be fascinated, they'll be interested, but they don't know that many people around them who are that interested. Yeah. And then they'll go to an event, they'll go to Freedom Fest, or when I worked at the Ayn Rand Institute, we had what we called OCON, our summer conference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it, it, they'll feel invited into a community and, exactly. and that'll last a lifetime in, versus people who, you know, they went through a summer of being really fascinated by these ideas and it just doesn't become part of their lives. No, that's definitely true. I, I think that's, you know, I, I, there's, there's a lot to learn, you know, just reading and obviously get going through and, and doing it on your own and, and learning these ideas. But you're right, there is something magical about, you know, it's, it's, there's an experience that happens when you all kind of come together and share in that, it's that learning that takes place together, I think, that really connects people. And, and you know, because you, you go, especially with these ideas, you know, you kind of, you go into this, you know, always not really knowing. And usually, you know, when you're coming to an event, um, especially, you know, there's obviously in the Liberty world, there's the events that are kind of the introductory to these ideas. And, and those are the ones I like the most are, are, are the ones where you, you kind of are able to mix people who are new to these ideas and, and with people who are, you know, lifelong supporters of these ideas. And then, yeah, you really realize how many, um, how passionate people are about the, especially these ideas. And, and it's cool to be able to engage those people and get them to together under one roof. And, and if, if you can connect on a diff, way more personal level than you could ever do, I think in an online video and in, in a book, you know, I, I just think have, being able to have people under the roof and have them um, kind of in your care, you know, for as however long the event is, there's something that sticks with people. And I think that's, um, that's the cool thing about events that I, I personally like. Well, I was going to ask you about that. Um, you know, over the last year, we've definitely seen the rise of <laughs> Zoom and other uh, ways that people are gathering online. And I'm curious as to what extent you think that can replace, supplement, um, or just not even come close to getting people in a room together for some period of time? I think we've all had to have, had to have adapted to this circumstance. I don't, I, once things are back to a sense of normal, I, I don't think that they will permanently replace events. I, there's just, you, you can't replicate that in-person experience over Zoom. I mean, you, you, you know, it's like, it, because what happens at an event, because on a Zoom, things are so curious, everything's so controlled. What's the, the special parts of an event are when it's the things that happen organically. You know, it's the, it's the people that, you know, just kind of find off a little corner and start talking with another, you know, and, and about these ideas. You can't do that on Zoom. And, and I think it's been a good um, mechanism that we've used to be able to stay connected. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I don't see it replacing um, in person. I hope I don't. I hope it doesn't because I, 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 I mean, <laughs> for selfish reasons, but also it's just, there's something, I mean, it's, you, you need that personal co connection with people and, and you just, it's not something you can get over the Zoom. And, you know, we, we, we've done a few Zoom, um, even with Freedom Fest, just to be able to continue to do things. And yeah, you know, you get some interesting conversations and, and I think they're fun, but it, it's all the magic that is happening alongside all the content that's happening at an event you, you lose. And so, yeah, I don't want that to go away and I don't think it will go away. And I think once people are, <laughs> once people get a comfortable, you know, become comfortable, I think getting back in spaces with each other, I think that'll, I hope so. I hope so. I don't want people to stop coming together. I, I, I hope you're right. I expect that you're right. So um, what, do you, what do you think are some of the factors that make the difference between good and bad events? And I'll just name one factor that I experienced firsthand when I was first new 
to pro-liberty ideas and started going to places. And that is, I would often show up, I'd be the, I'd be by myself. I wouldn't know anybody. And I went to places that did really fantastic jobs of bringing people together and kind of a lot of the people who are interested in liberty tend to be on the more shy side even if like as a speaker i can act extroverted i'm definitely not the person who's just going to (laughs) walk up and start talking to people i will now because i have a certain you know like level of people are familiar with who i am but i certainly wasn't at the beginning and then i would go to some events where you're you're essentially on your own and i'm i mean i remember i would spend multiple days somewhere and come away not knowing anybody and feeling really frustrated. Now, part of that's on me. And I mean, fundamentally, it's on me. But on the other hand, it's if I was throwing an event, I'd want to help people overcome that barrier because I know they're not going to come back and have or have a great experience if they don't. What are what are some you feel free to comment on that. But any other things that you have in mind when you're trying to think, how can I make this a really great experience? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, I think it's accepting the fact that you are going to have people coming to this event at all different types of comfort levels. And so you're going to have the extroverts show up who are just wanting to party and you're going to have the quiet people who are just kind of, you know, really apprehensive. And I, and I think it's, I think you got to be conscious of creating um, experiences that each of those kind of people will have fun. And, and I think, you know, for me, when I, when I, especially when you're doing a big event, I, I think it's key right off the bat is to do a, a huge social event. I, I think you have to start off an, an event with some sort of big social kickoff, some sort of social party, you know, something that is just that, because I think, I, I, you know, I've seen a lot of times with events, it'll go right into the hard content. And I think you got to kind of ease people in because they're coming into, you know, this three day experience with you, however long it is. And if you don't kind of ease people into that, I, I'm not, you know, I, I know I've experimented with doing kind of the, you know, the networking things and, and, you know, the forced kind of networking games. Honestly, those, in my experience, haven't worked great because, again, it's going to attract a certain type of people and the people who you're most wanting to get to come to those are probably going to be like, oh, that's kind of lame. I don't want to come to that. So I think it's just, you know, giving people kind of the freedom to um, kind of bring it in and just and, and really just hospitality I, I, that's that's um, yeah, bottom line is just you know engage the people who you are inviting to these events and you know I, I went to an atlas event and i think they did a great job um with the way they did it and they um they essentially had kind of uh, like almost like they were kind of co-hosts that would like part of their organization so they probably have about 15 or 20 different people and their job role throughout the event was to just find people who are off on their own and kind of go and engage them and talk to them and bring them over and you know we experimented some of that stuff with Beacon and having people like go up to people and say hey I know this person you should come and talk to this person and really trying to facilitate um engagement because you're right it's it's you know for shy people it's it's intimidating going to something that's just this insane experience all right off the bat and you kind of you retreat a little bit. And, and I think if you can help people get over that hump of, you know, spend this time with us, spend this, you know, be engaged and encourage people, like I, put it on them a little bit and say, you chose to come to this. What are you going to do to get out of this? Like, why did you spend the money to come and buy a plane ticket just to sit over there in the corner? Like put it on them to, you know, get out and enjoy this. And I think if you are, if you don't come off as, you know, I think it's respecting your the people you're you're who are coming to your event and really respecting them as people, and not just you know here oh great I got my numbers up and we got fifteen hundred people that's great and the only thing about that it's like these are individuals who <laughs> made a pretty big conscious effort to see what you're doing and so help them be excited about that so yeah I think it just boils down to hospitality that, that's really what it boils down to and you know maybe it's being a bit of a southerner that kind of is in my blood but <laughs> where are you from by the way I grew up I, I grew up here in Atlanta um and um you know traveled around but I, I, I still live here my wife and I live here in Atlanta and that's kind of so I, I can kind of jump in a little bit to the kind of the history of of the event it it um how I got into this. It's, I'd love uh, to hear that. 
So it, it, it was uh, honestly, you know, this was a family business that started. Um, my mom started a, um, when I was about seven or eight, she, her and her business partner started a small event company here in Atlanta where they owned historic homes and started with one historic home and they started doing events out of it. And then over the course of about 20 years, um, grew that into about seven properties that they have events out of, plus uh, just off-site catering that they uh, events that they did all throughout the you know Georgia and, and Atlanta metro Atlanta area and you know I was uh when I was in college I you know I, I'd always worked for the family business on and off even you know before college and even through college and whatnot and you know I was I started kind of getting into these just kind of liberty libertarian -y ideas in college. It was actually my now wife. She, she, had, she's the one who introduced me because I was actually kind of a, I remember when I was 18, it was the 2000 election. I was kind of a raging socialist at time and voted. Uh, I voted for, uh, um, what was the guy who was ran for the green party Nader back in, that year? Yeah. Yeah. I voted Nader that year. And I remember when I met my, who's now wife, when I came to college, I was kind of, you know, telling her all the stuff about that. And she was like, you know what, you, you need to read some, you need to read some books. You're, you're insane. These are not good ideas that you're talking about. So she was actually the one who got me into this. And, you know, do you remember any of the ones that she initially recommended? Uh, she gave me, so, you know, like I think a lot of people in this world, she gave me Atlas Shrugged to read. And, um, and that book kind of pushed me into this direction a little bit. And then, you know, I was kind of like, it was kind of an interesting time in college because I was a, at that time I was a poli sci major and you know even in college it was easy enough to, to get decent grades so I spent most of my time just kind of on my own learning and and so what I would do was you know do whatever I needed to do for classes but I'd spend most of my time in the library and just kind of bounce around from books so you know obviously starting with Ayn Rand and and read that and then just kind of would go to their table of contents you know this was still fairly new to the internet so there wasn't you didn't have that many sources to jump into and so you just kind of follow who their influences were and so I spent you know a good two years just kind of doing the best I could do to get by in college and and you know made fine grades and but yeah took took most of what I learned out of college just doing it on my own and really got into these and dove deep into Mises and Hayek and the good thing about you know being on a in a college library is they had access to every book at that time so you know I was able to just kind of do it on my own and and that was that was a pretty powerful thing for me you know I've always been kind of a self-educator even you know leading up to that but that was kind of the first time I feel like I really jumped into something that really wasn't influenced by anybody you know it really wasn't somebody that was like oh go check this out other than Katie a little bit kind of pushing me you know it, it was kind of this and, and the ideas just resonated, you know, and then I think you've probably experienced this when you get, when you, when you first jump into this, these ideas just really resonate and help explain a lot of things that, you know, you're, you're especially in a young 20 year old, you're struggling with trying to understand the world and trying to understand all this, you know, these ideas and, and, you know, understanding a good basis of economic thought makes sense, you know, and, and it's, it's something that is just, Unfortunately, I, I see it too often that just people just don't have a great fundamental understanding of kind of free market economics. And, and that's, that's frustrating because the ideas to me seem pretty clear. And so it's, um, I kind of got off track a little bit there. Yeah. I mean, I but, definitely, I mean, that's one of the very striking things to me when I read Ayn Rand and she makes this point in capitalism the unknown ideal is mm -hmm. it's not that people looked at capitalism thought about it and rejected it it's that it yeah. never got a hearing people didn't know what yeah. it was how it worked exactly. how how to think about its morality and so it's I mean it's really astonishing that you can have something that changed the world I mean we've all seen that you know GDP mm -hmm. per capita graph that flies you know off the charts that should be this one of the central questions that any thinker, particularly any political thinker, has to contend with. What mm -hmm. made that possible and how do we not lose it? And yet it's all taken for granted. Nobody questions it. And that can be really astonishing um, when you think about like, all right, don't you want to protect that world, the world that made yeah. it possible? Yeah. Yeah, it is. And, you know, I have a lot of friends who I've grown up with and still that are fairly liberal and that still kind of stick to that 
kind of rejecting those ideas and but you know like you said it's just it, it is it's a difficult concept and i think and and that's you know what it took for me was spending that time on it you know spending those the, having the the kind of freedom that those two years allowed for me to just in, sit in the library and read this stuff and really immerse myself in, in these ideas and well, that's the funny part. Like I'm, I'm generally pretty anti-college, like unless you have a really good reason to go, don't go. But on the other yeah. hand, I really respect the fact that it's, you'll never have another time in your life where more or mm. less you're like, people are subsidizing you for four years. Of reading books. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, you can, you can be so self-indulgent and luckily I chose to at least spend a good portion of my time on that, you know, obviously. And yeah, you know, it, it's, it's funny that, you know, thinking back on that time, how how much it influenced the next chain you know that trajectory in my life like and this wasn't you know I, I always like I said I always and, and when I graduated I, I, from college and then went on I did a few things and then just ultimately you know decided to go work with the family business for a while and that's kind of where ultimately where my passion for events came I, it was always something fun that I got to do as a kid you know watching you know growing up kind of in a, with an entrepreneurial mom and, and seeing her start businesses like that and do that it was that that looking back was actually pretty powerful and I didn't even quite realize it at the time um, how good that is for kids to, to grow up in that and, and to see that you know she this was nothing and especially in the 80s when they started this like this was not it wasn't a time when especially in the south where it was common for women to go do stuff like that and, and start a business and this was her and her business partner was you know, when, when I, I was the youngest in my family and when I started school, she was like, you know, I want to go do something. She, she grew up as an art teacher and, you know, with that, she went to art school and then she was an art teacher and before she had kids and she always wanted to do something creative like that. And, and so seeing that happen and then having the opportunity to work with her on, on this event and on these events, that, that's really where I got to see the kind of the exciting aspect of events because what I've always and what I love, continue to love about them is the, it, it is truly a collaborative effort and you get to bring because you can't do this on your own you can't you're gonna put a big event on you can't do it by yourself you have to bring in the right people and and and, and play off their strengths and and it, it I don't know if you ever it, I kind of equate it a little bit to you know when you did you ever work in restaurants growing up? Is that something that you ever got to do? Well my Just, grandfather ran one so I got a little okay. bit of a so glimpse you, so into that world. So there's it's, there's a collaborative effort even you know every night when you when you when you put that on and and events take that even to the next level, and you know there were some weekends we were doing like 19 events at a time like throughout the whole weekend and it was just the amount of coordination that goes into doing something like that was, was pretty cool and you know it was it was bittersweet because you know so before I joined up with with Fee doing starting on FeeCon. My mom passed away and so that's you know i, I kind of it was this i was in my mid i don't know how old was i mid-20s ellis was two she actually passed on ellis's birthday which was awful in its own right but ellis my oldest son so it was, it was kind of at this moment in time i was like you know i i could stay with this and and you know i had the opportunity i could stay with this family business and you know and 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 it had been offered to you know all right matt you can take this on to the next generation and continue doing this but what was hard I, I you know it was just like man this is this is like one of those moments in time where I, I was not expecting I, I think I was about 27 at the time I, I was not expecting that decision to have to be made and and I had always wanted to come back to the kind of those liberty ideas that I had spent so much time kind of falling in love with and you know for, for that time you know, because I was so immersed in, in doing these events, you, I, that had kind of taken a backseat to everything. You know, I still kind of read the stuff and I still enjoyed it and, you know, and, and, and had my little websites that I like to, you know, check out, Feed, Mises, all those things. But it was, I kind of, it was with her dying and I was just like, all right, what am I going to do for the next 10 years? Am I going to stick with this and keep this family thing going or you know or her business partner wanted to take the take the business as well and move on with that or it's like I have a little bit of leeway I could go try something and, and go into this world that I actually have a huge passion for and take a bit of a risk and see what happens with it and you know it, it everything kind of worked out to push me in that direction you know I, I reached out to um, 
uh, Larry Reed and, and the, the people over at Fee. And that's when they had kind of gotten into the, um, they've been planning on wanting to do something like FeeCon and, 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 and start their own big student conference. And they weren't sure when they were going to want to do it. So I was like, look, you know, I have a little bit of time. I'm kind of wanting to transition into that world. And the good thing was Fee was in Atlanta. So I was like, I, I don't want to have to move, but I was willing to do it. If I had to go, I didn't really want to go to DC, which is where a lot of these organizations go, but I was, I was willing to do it. And, you know, and then it just kind of all aligned. And so I just, I accepted the position starting with them and we launched FeeCon. I, I started in October of 2016 with them and then we had to have FeeCon had to happen, you know, uh, that next summer. So it was just kind of a whirlwind of introduction to this whole industry because the idea was we're going to bring people in this industry to this event. So it, it was a, it was kind of a trial by fire, so to speak. And what year you know, was going it was so the first FeeCon was 2017. That That's was the right. year we launched it. And I think you were there. I think no, I, I, think I was, you, I, was come? I was invited as a speaker and I was booked uh -huh. as a speaker. And then what happened is that's when I left the Ayn Rand Institute to go to work with oh, Alex Epstein at right. Center for Industrial Progress that's and right. ended up having to cancel, which I regretted because I mean, Fee is one of the organizations I most respect in the liberal mm -hmm. movement. And there, I mean, there were some amazing sounding speakers uh, or not sounding, there's some speakers there. So that, that was, that was one of the, the most painful parts of uh, that transition period. <laughs> we should have just had you come anyway. That's too bad. We could just come as an independent speaker. Oh, well, but, um, so no, that was great. And, 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 and what was cool about that was that was definitely jumping into that was a bit out of my comfort level. You know, I, you know, it, it, I had always been on the event side of doing other people's events. You know, they hire us and we'll put on their events. That was the first real instance in my career where it was like, I'm going, we're going to, I'm going to work on something that we control and we're inviting people to. So that, that was a whole different kind of element to event planning. And still the fundamentals are there and all the bits and pieces that's come together. But it was that event promotion, that angle that, you know, I think was the, the most difficult thing to learn because it's, it, it's and especially for that first one because it was just like nobody really knew what to expect you know i came in with a right. lot of ideas that i wanted to do and you know there was ideas on the table of what they wanted to do but it was it was a new venture for everybody at that time and you know we were still a young crew um working there there was a lot of i mean i think that was sean malone he had just started that year uh, you know working at fee i mean it was a pretty young team at that time and it was a fun, it was a fun success and, and for it to all come together. Cause that was a cool thing for, for, and, and, you know, when, when organizations decide to do that, it, it's this kind of coalescing um, moment when you put an event like that size on for an organization, because you end up having to tap into every single person in that organization to help get it to, to, to the finish line. And, and that was a fun, that was a fun year that, that first launch. Cause it was just, okay, we can't, we can do this. We can actually do this. People will actually pay to come to this. We'll find, you know, sponsors will actually help us do this. And, and yeah, and then being able to do that for the next, you know, three years that, you know, doing one, two and three of those was, was awesome. So that was what, a, did you, do you feel like you made any mistakes in that first one that you really learned from, or was it more, all right, new challenges and, uh, just yeah, incremental I, I think, learning. I, I, yeah, I think incremental learning, I, like I said, I think the event promotion aspect is the hardest thing. And it, because you have to kind of sell a story to people on why they should come to that. And, and I think that, you know, understanding how people like knowing how to speak to people who are at different stages of the buying, you know, process, like some people are just like, yeah, anything fee is going to do, I'm going to come to it. And then there's people you have to edu you have to convince them. So it was like, really kind of fine tuning how we're going to message this. You, you can't just say, oh, we're having a, a big event, come spend, you know, a couple hundred bucks, fly down here, a couple another hundred bucks on a hotel. It's like, you have to actually and work, and especially on something new like that, you have to convince people. And so I think the messaging on, on how you promote the event is, is the thing that we got better at, I think, over the years. Um, and especially for me is just seeing that all that goes into, because I'm, I'm not a marketing oriented a minded person like I, I i'm kind of a uh, <laughs> I'm, i always say it's like well if we just build it right it'll be it'll it'll people will eventually show up but i was like well yeah but you, how much time are you gonna devote to that it's like you still have to you still have to get people excited about it so 
that that's been I think for me the thing I've been able to learn the most is is actually putting that effort into how you're going to talk about this. It, it, you can't be you can't just let the organic stuff happen. You have to actually you have to kind of structure that and then actually build it out like you're going to go after these specific type, you know, this audience and you're going to talk about it this way with them and and really kind of breaking it down like that. Um, What's one thing the, that like that that you would do to help people understand why an event like what you were doing at fee would be appealing. In other words, what kind of values are you appealing to in order to convince somebody to, I mean, like you said, it's, it's a big investment of time, if mm -hmm. nothing else. I, I think where, especially on that event, I think where we found success was really playing up the kind of the entrepreneurial angle. And, and that was what our lead in was for, for that event. And because I think across you, if you, we, we never wanted to obviously, and see, not a straight up political organization anyways. And we knew that wasn't, that was going to be a loser because you know, you're, you're never going to bring any new people to it. If you're just going to speak the message, you're going to have your people who come and that's about it. And so I think, you know, entrepreneurship is one of those things that I think binds people across political spectrum because, you know, it's, it's kind of in our blood a little bit as Americans that we're just kind of entrepreneurial people. And I think you can appeal to people on that, um, you know, on that front. And, you know, with, when you tie in the philosophy that, you know, in order to be entrepreneurial, you have to kind of, there, there's a kind of political philosophy that has to be in place for, you know, people to have the freedom to do that. And that's kind of where our, our end was, at least on that event, on those events, was that you, you get them with the entrepreneurship and bring them in with that. And then on when they're, you know, then you, or give them you then you have the opportunity to say all right there has to be fundamentals in place for entrepreneur entrepreneurs to be successful and and so i i think that was we found and even with freedom fest i i think we we find that that's a similar message um what we're trying to do is is just you know it's because the, there's always going to be people who are interested just in the political philosophy, but there's always gonna be so many more people who are interested in the kind of the financial reasons why these ideas matter to me. And I think if you can tap into those kind of somewhat selfish reasons, I think you're gonna be a little bit success more successful, I think, at getting people who aren't just rah-rah, you know, libertarians or rah-rah liberty folks to come to these things, so. Well, and part of what I like about it is that I think if you look historically, there was way too much focus on appealing to, I mean, Ayn Rand had this jab of, she called libertarians in her time, uh, uh -huh. hippies of the, of the right. Yeah. But I think, there, I think there was too much of a focus on appealing to like the, you know, hey, we're for smoking pot. And I am for the freedom to take yeah. whatever drugs you want. But I mean, there's, a, like you said, a core of America is that spirit of entrepreneurialism, of building mm -hmm. a life that is really meaningful to you, mm -hmm. of being risk-taking and creative. And nobody else is appealing to that. Like, you know, you'll, you'll have kind of hand-waving by Republicans and Democrats at, uh, at business and entrepreneurialism. Um, but people who actually support the, the free market, which unleashes that in an unrivaled uh -huh. way, like that's where we have a competitive advantage. And those are some we of the do. best people, because if you get entrepreneurial people, they're going to do entrepreneurial things, including in spreading the ideas. So like yeah. that is such a great audience to win over versus so I, I, I've kind of cultivated entrepreneurialism in myself, yeah. but I'm much more that person who would have been there in the seventies debating, like <laughs> if you build a road around somebody's house, can you charge them to go through it? And what if you charge a million? Like that's sort of like my natural starting point. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, and it, I, it's much healthier now where I meet young people and they're like intelligent, grounded, social, cool, mm -hmm. like, and, and that was not true of my experience, even when I got started in uh, the pro-liberty world, you know, back in like the 90s. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a, it's a maturing industry too. You know, I, I think that's something that's kind of, I think that's something that our, you, you and I and our generation is seeing, is seeing with this kind of liberty. So, you know, what, this started in the, you know, really started in the 70s or so that this, industry stood up and, and and became this kind of where we had all the think tanks you had all the grass grassroots things kind of come together and start actually building this bit of a well, you know i call it a liberty industry and that's kind of what it is and you know what's interesting is the people who started it they're they're starting to age out of this and it's moving to that next level of, of people who 
are, are taking, you know, people like us who are going to kind of take the reins of this thing. And, you know, that, that's, that's, I, I wonder, that's kind of the thing that I see. And, I, and you know, I, being a bit of a unique perspective in the liberty industry, because I, you know, I, I have to work with everybody, you know, we have to bring in, you know, we can't really be ideological, like, you know, we're only going to work with the Libertarian Party, or we're only going to work with the objectivists, you know, it's like, we try to find common ground and bring them together. But what I find, and this may be, I don't know, maybe people will take offense to this a little bit, but there's a lot of gatekeeping that goes on in, in the liberty movement. And there's a lot of like, you know, a lot of these organizations that have been here 30, 40 years are like, well, there's, this is the way liberty is and this is the way you need to do it. And, and they get, and, and there's some infighting that I'm noticing even, even since, even as new as I am to the liberty world, I, I've, I've noticed more kind of infighting and, and I think there's a healthiness to that but I also you know I, I I wish that would be kind of take a step back to the to fact that you know there's something underlying that all of us love about this stuff you know and, and yeah we may once you get further deeper down we all may disagree on the particulars and and I hope it can survive that because I think part of it is um kind of that old guard kind of moving on a little bit and, and maybe becoming a little less relevant than what they were before, you know, when they started, you know, when they were young and, and doing this stuff from the very beginning. And I think there's something that there's a reaction to that kind of, you know, losing your place a little bit in, in, in this and, and stepping aside and, and allowing that next generation to come forward and, and, and kind of take this on, on our shoulders. And, so yeah, you know, I, I hope that um, the liberty industry continues to grow and thrive. I, I don't I don't know though. I, I see problems with it somewhat in that way, but I don't know. What 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 do you feel about that? I mean, is that something? I mean, you we see? probably disagree a little bit, uh, or maybe even a lot. In that, I mean, I think some of these you know disagreements. So one of my views, and this is uh -huh. what I think creates the most tension with people who are kind of outside the objectivist world but value liberty is that I view anarchism as the antithesis of liberty. Uh -huh. So like if you think of the classical liberal tradition, like uh, and even more recently, like a Milton Friedman or a lot of the uh -huh. you know, people at Fee, like I view them as um, there's a lot of common ground and agreement and uh -huh. they do all kinds of events. Um, and it's not that I won't ever talk to anarchists, but I don't want to do anything that gives the, 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 the impression that I think that these are kind of similar views with just one, mm -hmm. you know, one small difference. <laughs> we think there should be a government. They don't. <laughs> like, that's pretty big. Um, very big. <laughs> so I think these are important issues to hash out. And I think it's a difficult thing to figure out how to form useful alliances and coalitions without people undermining what they think is actually yeah. right. But I think that that kind of thing can be done in healthier ways or in less healthy ways. And so, um, you know, I want, uh, I think that's something that has to be discovered. I don't run an organization. And so it's easy yeah. for me. Like I just, I work with the people I think are doing something. <laughs> I agree. Yeah. Um, yeah. I imagine if I was an event planner trying to bring people together, that would be a really difficult scenario. So I don't have a great solution to it. Although I do think um, it's, uh, look, it's an inextricable part. Like we all know that Monty Python, Life of Brian scene where you have the people's front of Judea and the Judea's people front. <laughs> yeah. Every intellectual that, movement um, has these kinds of risks and disagreements. And as I said, I do think they're healthy in the sense that they reflect people taking ideas seriously mm -hmm. and to get at you know, what the truth is. Um, but what, you, what your hope is, is that there is um, a, you hope that those can be treated like intelligently, intellectually, and that over time we move to better and better understandings of what- yeah those of us who value liberty uh, are really after and, and ways that we can work to achieve that. Yeah. You know, I think, and, and I think for me, when I, when I'm working on an event like this and, and, and it's, I kind of look at it as, you know, for small event, when you're doing a small event and you have a specific message that you need to get out to people and, and you don't expect a huge audience to come to that and you, you it's a very focused I think as an event planner you should go at it with all right I have a very concrete objective that I want with this event that's what I'm going to do and, and that's how we're going to do it and that then this is the takeaways I expect people to get out of this you know when, when I worked on FECON and then working on Freedom Fest I, I, I try to approach it a little differently like I, because I 
I like bringing together different voices. And I, and I, and I think the way that it is, the way that I try to do it is you guys are the experts. You as a speaker, you know what you, you know what's most interesting for people. I, I don't want to pigeonhole you and say, I need you to speak on this, this, and this. And, and I think a lot of organizations get stuck in that. And I, and I think what ultimately what you should be trying to focus on and what I try to focus on when I do that is let, let the converse, let create an experience create an environment where that conversation can happen comfortably and that people can hear all sides and then try to do facilitate debates, facilitate discussion. And I think those are the things that I look towards, you know, when I work on events is I don't, I don't necessarily go into it and, and, and say, all right, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to bring in these speakers because I know that they're going to sell this message to people and that they're going to walk away with that. I, I just, I, to me, it's just like there's so much more you can get out of it if you leave it a little organic and say, all right, this, I, I've heard this person talk on this, and then I've heard this person have this opinion, and I know they kind of disagree, and let's, let's bring them together and see how they, you know, and see what they can discover together. And, and, and I find most people want to see that. They don't want, and that, and that, that gets another thing, you know, thinking about events too, is, is I, I'm not big on the lecture style event. Like, I, I think it has its place and I think it's important in some regards, but, you know, when I'm thinking about the types of sessions I want to put together that I find the most entertaining, that people find most, it's, it's, the, it's the, the conversational, you know, panels. It's the, it's the debates, not necessarily have to be a super formal debate, but it's just that back and forth that people really get out of it. Because ultimately, I think what event planners and you know in this world probably should understand is that the content typically does take second place to just the overall experience that people are having. Because you know, they'll, they, and I think a perfect example is I remember I forget which keynote it was. I, actually, I think it was that first. I, I don't remember, but it was a it was a, it was a well-known keynote, and I remember talking to someone who had come to FeeCon, I think that first year. And and I talked to him because they this person had come back every year, and then I said, oh yeah, you remember? I think it was Jimmy. Maybe it was Jimmy Wells, and we had him that first year. And I was like, yeah, you know, Jimmy Wells talked on on, on stage with me. He's like, Jimmy Wells was at that, and I'm just like, yeah, yeah, we spent a lot of time and money to bring him there. And but you know, most people like they just kind of because when you're at an event like that, there's just so much content coming at you, and and I think that you know. The, ultimately the takeaway is did that person have a good time you know did I have a good time at this event and feel good about what I experienced and yeah maybe I learned something that pushed me into a direction but yeah I'm, I'm surprised that you know because I spend a lot of time on content and I spend a lot of time on you know making sure that we have the subjects that we're interested in at least being talked about and then to hear someone say oh that y'all y'all did that yeah person there was like well, yeah, okay. I think it was funny, like, over time learning that, yeah, maybe people don't necessarily pay as much attention as I'm expecting them to. And so that kind of put me on my focus of, like, you know, you really, if you, you have to control that experience. You really want people to walk away from this, you know, not feeling like they've um, wasted their money. And, and I think that's a big key. So, yeah. I mean, one of the things I really liked, I, I went to Freedom Fest once and spoke mm -hmm. there. And part of what I like, I mean, part of why I think it works really well is that it's, it's not, all right, we're pushing a viewpoint. It's yeah. precisely, and that's why I don't think there's any issue of like me having my ideas confused. Like every, yeah. everybody there from all over the place and the organization itself, the idea, as I understand is we want to bring together people who are interested in liberty, who have different yeah. views of what that means and how to do yeah. it, but we just want to get them together because it's, it's fun and interesting and we'll learn a lot. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that's a really healthy kind of thing. And then particularly, like you said, if you can get panels where we're getting different kind of perspectives on issues or how to be more effective in, um, in, in advocacy or whatever the case may be. And uh, it was just, it was one of the most uh, lively kind of like comings <laughs> yeah, it together. Is. It is. Uh, I mean, you know, our, our owner, Mark, is a, he's a lively guy and, and he likes to, you know, he's a bit of a showman and I, and I think he brings that to freedom fest, you know, is because sometimes, I mean, it's, it's just the fact of the matter. Sometimes you go to events and they're just kind of, they're just boring and you, you end up sitting in these big lecture halls from hour on end and you're just kind of like, geez, this is just dragging on. And, and you know, that's, that's, that's my worst fear of any, like <laughs> any planning event is just 
looking over and seeing people that are just sitting there just with their heads down and just three more hours to go before we can talk to anyone (laughs) that's my that's my biggest fear and i'll you know and then as you get closer to an event that's when you that's when you start really like thinking about like oh my god i need to i need to add add this add this i gotta add this level to it and you know the, the, the the couple of weeks leading up to an event is an insane time and it's uh but sometimes you get some really creative like last minute ideas that just like pop out and you're just like oh that's what you need to do and what would be an um, example of that kind of thing because uh that sounds fascinating so one thing we did um you know we, we i it's always fun i think it's always fun to add a little bit of whimsy into an event and add a little bit of you know some sort of game something something especially on an event that big because you you have 900,000 people together, you know, play with them a little bit, you know, because they're, they're, they, they're never going to have that many people together in a space that, you know, are, are open to doing something like that. And so, you know, for this last, uh, the last uh, FECON I worked on, we just kept bouncing back on ideas on, on, on what you, what we want to do, what we want to do, how we're going to do this. And, and what we came up with, and it was relatively close to the event, I would say within the last couple of weeks, we, we decided to do, let's just, let's just do this large Lego installation and, and to kind of illustrate this, this idea of spontaneous order. And so what we did was we bought like 500, like giant, you know, like the giant cube Legos that are like right. that big. And we just dumped them out in the middle. And we just created a sign that said, create something, see what happens. And then that over the course of the entire week or the few days was one of the most fun things to do. You'd come down in the morning, someone had snuck off in the middle of the night and just built this insane thing. And then people would just tear it down and build stuff. And it just all throughout the whole week. And I was just like, man, that we weren't, you know, we knew we wanted to do something, but the, it was the pressure of like, we got to do something because this event's coming up to really, to really push that into something. And all, uh, that was a good one. That was fun. And we, 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 um, it was Sean's idea at the time to, um, he was like, let's just put a camera on this all week and just film it. And so then we had the like great, you know, the time elapsed thing of just this thing constantly being built up and broken down. So that was a good one. That was, that was a, and, and that, that, that solidified in my mind that use that use this opportunity when you have a couple of thousand people together, like do something to like play with them and, and, and they'll usually play back with you and, and you'll get something cool out of it. I, I love, I, part of what I love about that is it illustrates sort of like the, the the benefit of always thinking about marketing right because it's mm-hmm. um if you run a boring event it doesn't matter if you have the best photographer running around like if yeah. they're picturing if your audience is like this for eight <laughs> hours and then it's like and, and now we're eating lunch and then you know you i know awful b-roll like you're never going to sell the next event using that um but if you're thinking of ways to make the event exciting interesting people interacting to building stuff with legos then you can make the next one more appealing by just showing like this is the kind of magic that happens at our event. And, and, I, and I think that's important for event planners is like, think about that because that's what people are going to remember. I mean, it just is. I mean, people aren't going to remember all the work you put in to like curate this specific mess or this specific piece of content. They just won't. It'll, 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 they'll take it in and they'll, and they'll take something from it. But what they're going to remember is that that fun party that you were able to put together and all the little weird things that you did there and and you know and the way that you encouraged people to you know like we have the we have this event app that we use and we really the first year wasn't that great because we didn't really know what we were doing with the event app but as we learned it over the course of the couple of, of iterations of that event we just you there was so much you could do to like push people to actually engage with one another on this event app and and it was just and, and then you just start seeing like all the organic conversation that's happening even within that thing is it, it's just cool. And I think it's just, you know, create those opportunities that allow people to create the event experience that they want as well, because you have to, you know, you have to kind of rely on your attendees to do that. You can, you can only do so much. It's like you, you have to kind of create the, the husk of the event, but ultimately you rely on them if, to, to, to make it fun and make it a worthwhile experience. And so I think if you, if you're every step of the way, you're somewhat conscious of, of that, you know, what, what, what can I do to kind of make this experience slightly a little better and, and, and hopefully push people to, to, to take this and put some real meaning behind it. Um, that, that's, that's the thing. Cause I think a lot of time 
because there's so many logistics and there's just so many, you know, spreadsheets you're working off of and all that stuff, you get lost in the, just the, the Herculean task of just pushing this event over the finish line. And it's like, you should step back. You should always step back and, and edit yourself because, you know, we had this, we had this networking thing we were working on that we were going to do this. It was like this other game we were working on. And it just was, it was kind of like this, uh, it was like a, I don't know what it was. It was, it was kind of like you, it was like 10 minutes before every session. It was like this kind of like bingo thing or whatever. And then we like, we kept working on it. We were spending so much time like trying to make this thing happen. It was like, Oh, but you know, we need people to be able to network and this will do it, blah, blah, blah. And it just got to the point where it was like, we're trying to force something that's not going to be fun. Like, mm. you know, we, we keep coming. If they, if they, if it's not going to present, if the answer is not presenting itself after all this like effort of trying to do it, just dump it. And, and I think that's, you know, the, the, the event people who are successful are those who are flexible enough to realize I know I, I put a lot of work into this idea, but that idea is just not coming together and I just got to get rid of it and, and walk away from it and move on to the things that are working. And Well, if free market people can't cash in in the sunk cost fallacy, there's no hope for anybody else. That's true. That's true. Look, uh, I, as much as I agree with you about events versus and the, the kind of overemphasis on content, I am a speaker. I hope that people come at least in part for the content. Uh, but I, I, a lot of my audience are people who aspire to kind of do things in the, in the Liberty mm -hmm. space in the realm of ideas. And so what, what, what's your advice on if you want it to be somebody who's attractive to an event planner as somebody they want on their roster, what are the kinds mm -hmm. of things you're looking for that a person should be thinking about if they want to make themselves appealing as a speaker? Yeah, sure. I mean, you know, for me, it's, you know, when we go, so when our team starts planning an event, you know, we, what we'd like to do is we kind of start creating these, like, all right, these are the kind of avenues we want to explore. So like if we call them threads or whatever it is. And like, these are the different ideas that hopefully we want to explore throughout this conference. So that, so instead of like, build, that's how I kind of start from building. It's like, so I want to focus on the, maybe these 15 different ideas and then start pushing content, you know, and finding people who can do that. I, you know, the best speakers that I've, that I've loved working with are the ones who like a lot of times what we'll do is, and I think this is important is like kind of share that basic outline with every, put it, make that public. It's like, here's the stuff that we're going to start working on and, and pit, don't be afraid. Like if you're a speaker and you think you could, don't be afraid to like come to an event planner and pitch them an idea because you know, while it's like event planners, there are, they have so many different things that they're working on and trying to bring together if someone packages something for them and delivers it to an event player and, and it's good content and it makes sense and it fits in, man, that's awesome. It's like I, the, the things I hate the worst working with and, and great. I love all my speakers. Everybody's, you know, everybody has their way to work. And so, but it's the, it's the ones that, you know, it's like, yeah, you're coming to this too. It's like, do the work as well. Like don't make me do all the work for you because it probably won't be that successful if you, if you're not bringing something to it. And so I get excited about the speakers who like just reach, you know, because I make my email pretty well known. It's just like, reach out to me and pitch something to me. I, I'm, I'm pretty open. And, and, you know, I find most event planners typically are just kind of open to that because there is a need because you, you, you know, you, you don't, I, I don't. And I think a lot of, you know, event planners are the same way. I don't want to be overhand, like overhand, like heavy handed as far as like controlling, like this is what this is. So I'm not, I'm not, a, I'm not a school teacher. I'm not, creating a school for people. I, I rely on experts and rely on speakers who have an interest in what they do to, to, to do it in an entertaining way. And so I think a lot of event planners are, are that natural hesitation to not overly control everything invites, you know, I, I find it that I think most people would be willing to hear out, um, interesting content that's pitched to them. So that, that's the biggest thing I say to speakers is if you have an idea, just share it with me and tell me what you want to do. And, and let's see, how, and let me help you figure out how to do it. And, and yeah. And I, and I think that because every event planner is needing content, they just do. I mean, it's hard to put all that stuff together and it, and you always have people, people dropping off. I mean, with Freedom Fest, we try to bring 250 speakers to that event. And so you always are having, it's mind -blowing. You're always having people like drop off of that. 
and so you know it's nice to have something on the on the back end to kind of to, to rely on and and then you get your pets you know you get your favorite people that you like working with and so you never real you never quite know how um you know what that'll actually do it's just like because as an event planner once you find something that works you kind of you, you you come back to it because it works and then it's good and so you know you're, you're building this thing of of a bunch of different like hodgepodge of things I mean that's ultimately what an event is it's just a bunch of different little tiny bits coming together and you find a bit that works it's like you're gonna you're gonna go back to them and I've, I've there's plenty of speakers that I've worked with that I, I invite back almost to every big event that I work on because I know they're going to deliver. And so, well, I'm curious I, if you know, if you've noticed any trends, like in terms of, so setting aside people who are just famous and will mm-hmm. draw a crowd for that reason, but of the speakers who like, you know, you want to have them back or you hear good things from the audience member, like, Oh, I never heard of this guy or girl, but like, they really blew me away. What are the kind of characteristics or things that you see showing up in patterns that like, man, if more speakers were like this, my job yeah. would be a lot easier. I do think the people who are who are able to kind of speak from the heart are going to resonate the most. I, I think if you're if you're just coming, and especially you know it's tough in our world because you know we have a very it's very uh, you know especially in the economics and it, it's very heady. And it's like and, and if you can talk about this stuff in kind of an emotional way that really connects with people on an emotional level as well as an intellectual level, th- those have been the ones that I see that people kind of come away from it that are just like, whoa, that, that really had an effect on me. Um, you know, one of our keynotes that we had um, at, one of, uh, at one of the last VCONs that I worked on, he, um, he was, just, he was a, uh, a photographer for National Geographic and had been doing it for 50 years. And he was he he didn't know anything about really about libertarian like he he was familiar with what we did but he kind of came into it as just like you know we brought him because he was a, a an interesting entrepreneur and and had this big creative background and he put together this talk that was just that literally I I looked over and like was watching people crying like I was just like that that emotional and and it was just it was so magical to kind of see that and and I think he was able to really tie in these kind of heavy intellectual ideas that in a way that really elicited emotional response. So I think, you know, be conscious of your delivery, just going up and doing a, a PowerPoint presentation doesn't work with it. Doesn't cut it anymore. It's like people expect more. It's like we have so much content now that well-produced content that we're all grew up with and that we all see and the, the younger generation sees it any more than we do. We, we expect kind of high, you know, we ex- we've come to expect, I think, a high standard for for how people present ideas, and um, I think you got to be conscious of that because, yeah, the days of just you know coming in and throwing your PowerPoint up there, and you know, it's the same thing. It's like that; those aren't going to last. And and I try to steer away from those. And even when I bring speakers, I'm like, keep this. It's like keep it conversational. It's like keep keep talk with the audience. Don't just talk at them. Like talk with them and, and talk and, and because they're you know they they chose especially you know when you have a bunch of breakouts that people have seven, eight options to go to. It's like those are going to be the speakers that people, you know, are like talking about in the hallways and talking about in, in the things. It's like that that person really knew how to talk about this idea in a way that I didn't just spend my time the last 30 minutes on my phone because that's the worst. That's the worst when you go into a breakout and you just see the, you see it obviously is not working. Nobody's engaged, but they're too embarrassed to get up and walk out. So they're just going to sit there and uh, those right. are the ones you try to avoid. <laughs> well, Matt, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I, I know this year has been hard for you and for all of our friends in the event world and yeah. all of our speakers who, I mean, had I know. many of whom had their livings uh, trampled on. but. Um, I think uh, one of the lessons I wanted people to come away is there's so many non-obvious opportunities to be engaged in spreading good ideas, whether uh-huh. it's events, whether it's you know all the kinds of things that go into making organizations run, helping people get together, helping them educate themselves. And uh, so I really hope that you know particularly young people um, like spend, go to the events and spend some time talking to the people who work at them. Yeah the people who work at different organizations and look at these kind of non-traditional, non-obvious paths. Cause uh, like we, we need more good people in every aspect 
of I know, I know, and and I think that's a good way to put it. I I think it's just there are there are opportunities out there, and and, and there are opportunities for you know. It, it, you don't just have to be a great writer. You don't just have to be a person who wants to go talk. It's like these businesses need, these industry businesses need employees who know what they're doing. And, and I think that's a good way to put that is that it's just go talk to them. <laughs> go find out <laughs> what's needed and do it. It's funny. Thanks a lot, Matt. Appreciate it. This was fun.